Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clubo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond, Bart. Oh, guys, pleasure to be here, guys. I'm proud of you. I love it. Just a little background for uh, some of the listeners out there. If you don't know who Bart Cotino is, he's a well-respected West Coast researcher. I met him in 2004 at the very first uh, BFRO public expedition up in the Humboldt Redwoods. He's been one of my best bros ever since. We actually just were out last weekend together. Bart has definitely put his time in in the field. Um, he has, uh, gone through a couple of thermal imagers at this point. Uh, I always give him credit as having that thing to his eye more than any other human I've ever seen in my life. He's probably filmed one of these things, uh, based on his, um, his recreations and analysis at the site. It's very difficult to find out what else it could be if it wasn't a Bigfoot. And this is up at the, the Sierra location, I believe, if I remember right. Yeah. Bart actually probably has the best documented follow-up of any Bigfoot footage ever gotten. Yeah, he, he put the time in, you know, and, and which is important because most pieces of footage, I mean, they're not the Patterson Gimlin film, you know, you can't see that. And Bart's is a, is a thermal video at yards. 105 yards. Yeah, yeah. So that's a long ways away. So you can't tell what it is and it, without the follow up, without the measurements, without the boots on the ground doing the work, you, there would be nothing to say about that video. But Bart and his uh, and his group, you know, put in the time and did the work and came across some interesting discoveries in his own footage. That night was crazy. And remember, too, we're seeing it, as you guys know. I mean, we use thermal more than anybody, but, you know, you're seeing it at a better resolution live than what it's what it's the inboarding and how it's recording. And it was just, yeah, it was surreal that night. But I couldn't have done the investigation without I had I had a lot of help. I had a dozen people with me, half of them law enforcement. We put, you know, our brother Leiterman, Ranger Leiterman, you know, took that over, which was perfect. And then. You know, who did a really great job in presenting it was Phil Poling, um, who's, who's a skeptic. And that's why I kind of handpicked him. Um, and I, you know, just, just give him everything I've got. I trust this guy to, to just tell the story as it is. And in 17 minutes, I mean, he did, he did a hell of a job. Bart's got that interesting thermal video that, you know, isn't the best quality, but the follow-up is the best ever done on, you know, Bigfoot footage. But what's even, there's more backstory on that is where the footage was taken. Tell them about that part. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, everyone had heard about the Sierra Kills uh, situation with Justin Smea um, and, and a friend. There was actually two individuals. And we actually, I mean, I got put on that. That was Bo. You came with me. That was the first time up in, yeah. uh, I think it was 2010, we went to the kill site. We had never, you know, on that side of California, we were like, Jesus, why we've been missing the boat. Like, how do we have not been here before? The, the whole Sierra site, that whole area, when we hit that in 2010 with Melder and Mayachinsky and the Spain thing, I mean, that was never on my radar to research. It's, I look back now and it it blows me away how it all went down. Um, really, the impetus to that was two weeks prior to going. So this would have been, you know, I think it was 25th is when I filmed them. So it was about August 10th, 11th or whatever. Actually, Bo, you were with me in Monterey, if you remember. And Roe gave us the call. Justin gave us the call. I just written the polygraph for Justin. Uh, Rose, they just did the polygraph. He passed it, and then Justin actually took them to that Sierra site. And they, they didn't really. They weren't even there really to be bigfooting, whatever. I think they banged on trees, screamed a little bit, did nothing. You know, nothing was going on, and, and they weren't attempting to do anything. And they were just they ended up just staying the night there. I think it was going to be a day trip. And they had like Nadia with them. There was a few. It was about six people total. Sean was there. Um, uh, Justin, another guy, Carl, and of course, Roe. And, uh, anyway, so 
I I heard that at about three in the morning with half of them asleep. I think more than half. It was just Justin and someone else, Carl awake. And Justin had described it as it sounded like Jurassic Park, like the stomping and the trees. And so they had a significant, it woke everybody up. There was a, like, bipeds that ran away. It was all on the southwest side of camp. It was just totally unexpected. I didn't even know to believe it. I mean, when our Bo being with me, we were just shaking our head. So a couple weeks go by, and um, we had a funeral in, a, in our business family in Visalia. I told my wife, I said, you know, I think I might just, you know, go to the funeral and then mosey up to the Sierra. <laughs> She's like, bullshit, you are. Um, you know, it was funny. We, we kind of thought about that, but I kind of went out on that one, thank God. And uh, we went up and just put a quick trip together. So basically, it was a day and a half, I mean, thrown together. Roe and Todd came up. They had just met. Um, I think they had been together just, you know, just recently. They're just from both from SoCal. I had Michael Lorenz there with me, who was a great caster. Um, and then Sean was coming up. This was going to be like his second night in the woods. Well, the first night I got up there at night, it was just me and Justin. And I remember it was just being a weird night. You know, you just kind of have a little bit of a vibe, if you will. Um, a lot of deer were around. Um, I remember me and him, we stayed up to like 5:30 that night. I was playing guitar and, you know, we ended up crashing and got up early the next morning. Then the guys just started popping up as they went. I don't even think Sean got up there um, until like uh, 10 p.m. or so. And uh, we had nothing happen. Of course, I was doing all the instigating with the calls, knocks, everything, just indiscriminately, you know, and uh, had nothing happen. And I remember that there were multiple deer herds converged throughout the meadow, I would say within a two mile radius, there must've been five, six herds converged. I saw probably 80 to 90 deer, the most I've ever seen in any situation. I mean, we were right on top of them or they were right on top of us, I should say, but they were everywhere. And that's what was different about that night. Um, so anyways, I remember about midnight, I'm starting to just get ready to conk out. Like it's, you know, I barely slept the night before. Nothing's going on. I got to be back early in the morning. I didn't even have my laptop um, because it was being repaired at the time. So that's how quick and thrown together this all was. So about midnight, I remember Sean, actually it's a little bit later than midnight, but I'm thinking about it. Sean uh, came walking up to me and he's still awake. The guys are starting to conk out. And I just finally I looked at him and I said, all right, Sean, I said, let's go break your fear of the dark. You know, it's the second night in the woods. Let's go for a long, you know, we'll go for like a two mile hike together. So we go and we were going to kind of, I was going to have him do some calls off the Eastern Vista. And he did, he did them perfectly. And we didn't know it at the time. And it's funny looking back in hindsight, um, the squatches, were already had to already be where they were positioned. I mean, there was no, so they saw, they saw this just by winning. What the hell are these guys doing? Right. And it was literally after he did those calls, we round the bend and looked back towards back down towards camp. And I just, I just happened to stop. And I just said, you know, I'm just check the vantage point. We were going to, we were going to walk the road and go like three miles, you know, and come back. And um, I look and I, I, had you know my auto recorder going and i'm looking down and i'm seeing what looks like bipeds and i'm thinking okay i've got two guys asleep down there my two strongest guys that have been you know from experience standpoint and justin and michael um you know todd's olympic project now but like i said that was like his second night in the woods row same thing so i'm going wait a minute and i'm seeing bipedal movement going back and forth and that's not really i don't really know the um you know, I don't know the topography that well because I'd only been there, you know, a couple days. You know, I'd walk through it, but, you know, which tree gaps or which or whatever. But it looked like it was from the side of camp. And I, I'm just filming all, already, and I'm just whispering to Sean. I go, Sean, if those aren't the guys, those are squatches. Because I see they're clearly they're bipeds. And so we're just filming. I, I just basically whisper. I said, hold on to my, I said, you hold on to my waist. You breathe when I breathe. I kneel, <laughs> you kneel. Like, and, you know, he was he was scared because imagine his shoes. This guy is a, you know, he's got a big, big foot block. He's not an outdoors guy. That's the second night in the woods. He didn't, couldn't even believe something like this could, could happen, but he's holding on to my way, shaking at first, you know, and, and he can't see what I'm seeing. I'm just describing to him what I'm seeing. And anyway, so these things, they're walking back and forth. I, I made the decision pretty quickly. Like, you know, I, I've got a bunch of like empty footages where I'm trying to go right, trying to go left, trying to see them in any other gap. It was the only window I had them in. 
And remarkably, they would disappear like sometimes two, three minutes at a time. So you didn't know, is that it? I mean, is that so there's still for a little bit, there was a question in my mind. Could it be the guys? You know, could it be? I know I'm like more than 100 yards away. But then as I start seeing them walk back and forth, I start watching the behavior through the gap. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. This is and it just and psychologically, you know, I was ready and I knew I knew the team I had. I knew what the personnel the lack of equipment, everything else, what the call was, I run towards those things. I'm flushing them out like they're gone. You know, there's not, I'm not flushing them out for us to see. I'm flushing them away. Um, plus, not to mention how the shaky footage on that and flipping on a light. Uh, you know, um, I, I made that decision right away, and I would do it again. Get as much footage as possible, answer all the questions later. And I'm glad I did because we got some good shots stepping through the gap. I remember at one point we walked back with Sean actually because I had I didn't have the lithiums in that unit yet. We didn't know we can use those yet, so I had batteries dying like within two three hours, and uh, I had two sets on me, and so we wore those out. I had to go back to camp. Could not get them in any other window in the trees. And to be fair, when I go back to camp. You hear the audio. You know, I'm talking with the guys, and they're I'm just like, did you? And they were seeing dark silhouettes fill the tree gaps. You know, half asleep, Ro and Todd, and so they were just mesmerized they couldn't believe it they didn't hear anything but they thought they were seeing things and looking up so when i'm down there in the camp i'm kind of trying to get them you know nonchalant hey all right you know kind of whispering to them and i'm kind of looking up and to be fair looking back now i never would have thought they were as close as they were i didn't know until we did the investigation so i think i was looking past them the whole time Um, but i could not see them from the bottom and remarkably, so we loaded back up on batteries. I must have been in a camp 25, 30 minutes, like a long time. And Sean said, Let, I said, let's go back. We'll try to reposition. You never know. They'll come back. Maybe they're still there. We don't know. So we got back in position, and sure enough, there they are. And one of the coolest things was remarkable. I'll never forget because what it looked like seeing through the therm versus, you know, the onboarding recording, there was like a flash of light and it looked, and I just remember telling Sean, one of them did something because I could, I didn't know what to say. And uh, it turned out that that was a rock that was thrown that we didn't know until we had gone back and done the investigation, the rock that ricochets and bounces off the wood. It's the tree. That's the only thing they heard. Um, so we got some more like, you know, really cool stuff. It's just, unfortunately from a distance and the quality is not great. It's three twenty two forty. So eventually, eventually they were gone. And I do want to add, there was a seven footer that was there that was stationary, a seven foot heat object that was there 20 feet above. You know, we went back, of course, we knew all this from doing the investigation, but that subject was there most of the time while there was at least two others that were six, three, six, four moving through the gap. Um, it was insane. Uh, and, and it makes you wonder, you know, hearing back from the guys, I didn't know this, but while I was up there filming the squatches, three deer, muley deers had come and just loaded in camp and basically just sat next to the guys, like sure sign of predators, you know, around. And then you wonder with the rocks, you know, there's a lot of speculation, but, but anyways, I finally called it. It was about 3:30 in the morning and i mean we just did nothing left they had they've been i hadn't seen them for like 45 minutes or so and then i made the call i told everyone you guys pretend we're going to sleep and i really thought in the end i was going to catch three or four bipeds descending to the side of that hillside from my vehicle and it just never happened we found out later doing the investigation they'd already exited we even see one of them exit north it looks like a just looks like a bipedal person just walking north behind todd and roe gone quietly through the grass and uh, I woke up, I had the thermal wrapped around my neck. Honestly, I slept two hours. I remember Justin, you know, he had slept through the whole thing, but kind of knew kind of what was going on. Like he just said, yeah, I, I've, you know, he's like, his thing was like, what, what do you think? Do you think I guys were bullshitting you and, and, you know, brought you here and now the squatches showed up? You know, he just wasn't really like surprised, but he was, you know, pretty excited for me. And I remember we drove back and the hardest part was not being able to review the footage. And it felt so, until I got back to Monterey, six hours, six and a half hour drive by the time you do your stops. And that was so difficult because I felt so naked because I feel like every, you know, everything's got to be just investigated properly, due diligence. I just had nothing with me. And that's when we had to, once I got back, saw the footage, I sent it to Kirk Brandenburg first. He was the first one to review it. And then I did with them. And then we went back three weeks later, I put a team together. I was going back with a 
the Bumping Lake, where you know, I saw mine in 07, expedition. And Robert Leiterman and I, we look forward to that trip every year, going hitting the Walla River, all these wonderful places, Oregon, going back and forth, the road trip. And we had to cancel it. And I called everyone back to the site, hopefully to get more footage, but mainly we got to do an investigation. So, and that investigation lasted, um, I believe, about 10 days. And I had about a dozen guys, give or take two or three a day, about half of them law enforcement. So, and Leiterman took the lead on that and uh, passed it right to him. He's got a vested interest because just like you guys, I mean, we're all kind of tied at the hip through our history. And it behooves him to want to know what the truth is. And I knew he'd get down to it and he would test it to death. And that's exactly what we did, you know, and try to set an example for the field moving forward. Because let's be honest, you guys know the footage is a C, C minus in quality distant thermal half people don't really understand what they're looking at it's when you put it all in the proper context with the investigation you go oh okay they're they're six and a half and seven feet tall and it's we're at 7100 feet and they're naked you know and they're not really moving like people you know so um and phil pulling again he was instrumental in the investigation as you know he put together a 17 minute documentary i wanted who's the best guy that does that and he's a skeptic i had nothing to hide so i just gave him everything i had and uh you know, the investigation, I think, I think backs up what they are. I, I fully believe that those were Sasquatches because the alternative would have to be three unknown subjects on the highest end of the human height scale at 7,100 feet, 58% waxing moon, loitering between 1.30 and 3 in the morning at our campsite, you know, and no way of getting up there. So it's, uh, you know, that's really the only alternative we have here. So Leiterman was there, wasn't he? no. No, Leiterman came for the investigation because Leiterman and I were scheduled to go to, I had an expedition back at Bump where I had my sighting in 07. And we had to cancel that and because this happened and then get, you know, I had to get a team over with me there to do the whole investigation. And when I say Leiterman, that's Ranger Robert Leiterman with the California State Parks. He's a actual law enforcement. He's got investigation skills. Yeah, he's been a primary partner, as you guys know, with you too. I mean, he's been... He's just an incredible asset, taught me a ton and, and very objective. And, you know, he was the perfect guy to do the investigation for that. As, I said, as you guys have said, the footage itself, it's a C minus footage until it's put into perspective. And then you see, you know, my guys with their clothes on. You know, I use Kip as the model. Kip Morrill is one of my best friends, uh, who's six, call it six two. And the subjects were, you know, the main, there's two subjects going back and forth that were in the six three six four range, you know, I had a bunch of midgets with me that night. I was the tallest guy at six foot. I was holding the camera, so it was just the whole thing was crazy, totally unexpected. But I will say this: I learned like watch the vantage points. Where's the vantage points over camp? The human activity, you know, the darkest area, um, the area where you can go in and you can watch and listen. And, you know, no one would know the better. You know, how many of us are running out there with thermal images? It throws a rock too, right? Yeah. At one point, you know, this was so crazy about this whole thing is I had a couple of guys in camp, two of them sleeping and two other ones that were, uh, it was Rowan Todd, you know, Todd, he's, he's become a veteran a little bit of the woods now, but at that time it was like his second night out. And, you know, the first thing that went through my mind, obviously when I'm looking from my vantage point and I'm filming is, Oh, it's one of the guys. And I even tell Sean in the audio, I'm like, if that's not one of the guys, those are squatches. And, you know, I knew from watching even more before I even got down to talk to them, but it's all recorded. The good, the good thing is I had the audio running on my head the whole time. You kind of feel like you're there, you know, peace and poor Sean, it was like his second night in the woods and he was holding on to my waist the whole time. And I'm just telling him, whispering, <laughs> I'm like, you're going to, you're going to kneel with me, breathe with me, but change my battery. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, we're together, you know? And, and then he toughened up as that night went on. I mean, that was, uh, this thing lasted like an hour and a half and I had no other vantage point. I tried every which way to get a different window. And I just had that one window from 105 between V-shaped trees. And then you see in the footage, it looks like a dark, uh, it just looks like a dark, like a dark tree. But what it is, is it's, it's nighttime. There's no, the heat doesn't hit that part of the tree. So that's the coldest thing in view. So it almost looks like that's the gap when you're watching it, but it's not, that's the back of the tree. You know, a lot of the stuff we didn't know until we went back two, three weeks later 
and were able to recreate the whole thing. I wasn't familiar enough with the site to know the distance. I didn't know. I mean, for all the light, I knew those things were eight feet tall. For all I knew they were five five. Yeah, your footage in the series, you actually got some documentation, but you got a much better thermal observation of a Sasquatch several years before that. Yeah, we that were... was the inspiring one in uh, Bumping Lake, Washington in 07, in the summer. As a matter of fact, I go back every year and spearhead an expedition with the whole Washington crew. It's not my favorite place to be. I love the people that I'm with, but I only go back there because of what happened, and you know, I'd be stupid not to. I was laughing about this. It's like the first time I ever put a thermal imager in my eye at uh, bumping. And I've done it how many hours since? Hundreds of hours since. I saw one, and then I never saw one. I haven't seen one since there, you know? Yeah, Cliff. So if you remember, it was, I think it was about midnight or so, and you were you were kind of rearranging stuff in your truck. Everybody was together. Um, you know, they were, Paul Graves, Tom, they were all playing guitar. And uh, I asked you, I said, can I, you know, we go take the, you know, take the therm for a walk. And actually I take that back. How that started was I actually walked back on that small trail pathway. It was pitch black back there. You guys remember that night. And I felt something just kind of a presence kind of somewhat close to me. And I heard a step branch break, didn't think a lot of it, you know, walked back. And that's when I talked said, Hey, if you got the X 200, I'll, you know, poke around with it. And I mean, it wasn't more than, God, it was probably 30 seconds to a minute that I see something bright right down the trail from where I came from, uh, probably about yeah, 60 yards at first, 55, 60 yards. And then at first I thought, remember the girls were there, I thought it was either Christine or Tracy. And, you know, one of them was trying to relieve themselves behind the behind a tree because you only see 10% of it at first. So, yeah, I saw like the knees and then the head poking out and then it was doing that kind of right and left looking at me which looked suspicious but it's still my thoughts are person you know especially because we were there with quite a few people and <laughs> until it stepped out and then i could see the whole left side all the way down i mean down down to the calves um and then you know basically drop down as soon as i saw it step out i mean you, it's very clear you know that's not a <laughs> it's not a person from that distance and then got on got on the ground, and then not on all fours, but I'll never forget, like knees down, arms extended, and kind of just doing this kind of like a head rotation thing, like trying to lock in on me, but it looked like it couldn't really lock in on me, but it was trying to, which was really curious. And then there was just a bunch of fast transitioning on the ground. I saw a lot, but I guarantee you there's a lot I missed, but it actually made at one point like a digging type mo motion with the stomach perpendicular to the ground. It was just a weird kind of thing to see um it, at one point it, this is actually i think in the beginning of it i had snapped my fingers trying to get your attention cliff you couldn't hear me you were putting stuff away and i'm snapping my fingers going Cliff. and every time i did that it was just it was unbelievable to see this thing was like reacting like almost you know frightened like a small dog like you know just a lot of like just unnerved movements and and then it would pause freeze in between me doing that as if it was scaring it and you got to remember they were all down there right you know right on my left uh just totally oblivious and there's all that sound coming from there but for some reason you know it was focused dead on me um and then at, at some point it had rolled rolled to the side and put this hand up and you know you see all five digits on that splayed hand it was unbelievable uh, it took we'll get back to it, but it took me years later to figure out what it was doing because it made no sense to me because, as you guys know, the therm picks up IR. It doesn't give off, uh, off IR, right? So anyways, it, it actually it got back up, and I saw it, like, push, you know, it, it pushed itself up, got back down again, and then just, like, got up. I don't even know if it pushed itself up the second time. I don't think it did. I mean, just effortless, the transitioning on the ground, using body leverage. But the last, you know, the watching it, and seeing its back to me, uh, calves north, I could see everything in the clear. I mean, it was almost, literally utopian. And you just see the whole profile of the back. You know, a head kind of maybe sunk in a little bit. A little smaller head than I would have thought, but it may be bigger. I just couldn't tell from my positioning. But shoulders, massive. Exactly what, what we would expect. Uh, right off, you know, not, no visible neck. Uh, Two-thirds of the weight in the upper extremities. Uh, long arms, big hands, uh, legs, you know, I, yeah, kind of muscular, whatever. That's kind of the profile, but it just looked, it was very top heavy comparatively, you know? 
And I'll never forget, you know, taking that imager off mine was the hardest thing we had to do. And you remember Cliff full, full well because you recorded it with it all the time. But having to put those X200 XPs on a bicycle helmet with the viewers and hold a hold a backpack in front of you with a marine battery and the proprietary cord. And you guys, it's a nightmare. And uh, I actually took my, the imager off mine. I ran. That's when I ran back. You know, just I just remember cussing at you, Cliff, just, you know, and you you reacted immediately. It was the quickest I'd ever seen in five minutes. You had all that stuff on or less and we're running back there. And I remember everyone was coming up, people, they had their headlamps on kind of looking down the path and I'm trying to get everybody just back, you know, cause it's not their fault. They didn't know what was going on. You know, they just hear all the commotion and I'm trying to explain to them. And in the meantime, you're back there, Cliff. And then when you came back, you're shaking your head and I just kind of knew. And, you know, I, I did feel like that thing was, it was just waiting me out. Yeah. Like what a stealthy son of a bitch, not give away your position. I'm not flashing a light on it. So technically I shouldn't be able to see it, you know? And as I said, that we pick up IR with our thermal, we don't give it off. So I think it knew I was there, was confused if I could see it or not. And it was just, uh, it was just amazing to see how this thing, you know, would react under what I guess would be stress for it. Um, When Paul Graves went back there, about what a half hour later, I think it was. Um, you know, we're that ninety four in a beanie and it's about six three one seventy, you know, and I see and that was the that was like the second realization because then I realized from that distance the size. You know, it's it, with the depth perception, especially with those units, it wasn't always easy. And as you get more distant and uh just seeing Paul with all his winter clothes on and a beanie and everything. It was just, Oh my God. Cause you could see, even with the X 200, you could see the hair patches on this thing. And I, I found out, you know, years later going back every year of just about, it ended up being about 32 yards is as close as I crept up to. Um, by the time I had taken that therm off my eye. So, so at least from that experience, um, you know, I know what, I know what we're looking for. I know what the money shot looks like and it's going to look even better with, you know, the better technology we have now. So, um, but that really was, that incident really set up the mindset of how I research and going into to the Sierras, looking for the vantage point cliff, as you like to say, where's the sniper going to be? That's exactly usually the biggest trees in play. These kind of things always stuck with me and just hammer the vantage points and pay attention when no one else is, you know, it becomes inherent when you have an experience like that. So uh, it was life-changing. Didn't it move some ways that no human could move the way, like you said, it looked like it was levitating at certain points, right? The way it held its torso. It was the way that it shifted weight, like how it looked structurally. The upper extremities, I would say was two thirds of the weight, no doubt. Long arms, the shoulders were exactly what, you know, we, we, we've seen and we know they are you know, just right off the head. The head was more rounder than I would have guessed, but, but it could have been sunken in a little bit because I never saw it face on from, I saw it from the back and then from the left side completely, but never, um, never, never head on. I mean, the thing just literally, I mean, just frozen like a statue, but I'm just looking at it and it's glowing. And that's why I always say, you know, with that and the Sierras, everything that I've seen, as crazy as it is, it makes sense to me we are where we are. Um, I just, between human beings, when that sun goes down, and the way these things move, and just how it, it's the shy, retiring nature, but the maneuverability, I mean, just the way they move. I think you even said at one time, Cliff, or, or I don't know if it was from a witness or, or you, but about moving like a spider. There's just this unique, it's like you know it when you see it. How big did you think it was? Give us some dimensions and guesstimates on weight and height and all that. You know, I knew because, you, you know, you guys know, too, like with the depth perception, especially initially, we were still, you know, I don't want to say raw. I mean, we still use thermals a lot, but not like now. You know, we have a little bit of right. judge of things. But Paul Graves is really the that was the model because I know he's six three one seventy. You know, he's got all the winter clothing, his beanie on. And, and I think the big realization of knowing, you know, I knew 110% what it was, but I'm seeing the realization where it was like, I started physically feeling it was after seeing him and realizing the actual size of the subject, uh, the dimensions of the subject and the, the, like the agileness of the subject. It was like, 
and and uh, Paul, I mean, you can see all his clothing, you can see his beanie. I mean, this is because I got as close as 32 yards, you know, going back. I, I think it was 32, 33 yards. Yeah, it's real close. close that I got. It, it's, yeah, because I was kind of slowly creeping up and I actually passed, you know, that little walkway that was up from where you guys were. I actually pat like crept up enough to pass that, you know, just getting a better look, a better look, a better look. But uh, God, I just I do for one more opportunity. I would say the sun it probably just under seven, seven foot, and I would say weight wise, with the weight distribution, probably in the neighborhood between not a good weight, but four fifty to five seventy five, with two thirds upstairs above above the waist. It was a, it was an impressive uh, impressive specimen and but yeah I, I would say a tad under six eight six nine call it yeah shortly afterwards I th- didn't you do a couple recreation drawings of what you saw yes and that was that was your idea Mr Barrickman we had uh, we had a great uh, trip back I don't you remember I mean it was one of the great I'll never forget that trip of our life like driving back you and I back from Washington Oregon and you dropped me off with Shed Shasta with my wife Kim's family girlfriend at the time. But I'll never forget too. You looked over and you go, you know what? You should. You told me you go. You should draw it. Like you should just draw. You know, just get just the different positions and the different. I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. And so what I did is just kind of I got a photo of the area, did white out, so it's like a thermal impressionist view, and then I made the subject just like kind of what it was looking like from my perspective. And then I had at one point uh, Canadian artist I loved Brian Kundal. I love his work, and I just wanted him to make a commemorative piece for me you know, just for my personal, my house. And he made this big, beautiful, um, you know, portrait. I mean, it's, he, he pretty much nailed it. It's pretty close. I remember two of the drawings. I remember uh, two of the positions that you put the thing in. Were there ever, were there any more or were there only two plus the uh, really nice artistic commemorative one? You know what? I did like eight or nine actually. Yeah. They're on the, uh, um, on the BFRO on that. I put a map, I put, you know, all the recreations. I mean, just, you know, as much as I could. And, uh, they're all there, but there's a couple okay. much better than others. I could have took a little more time on it, but it gives you the idea of what it looked like from my perspective. You know, you, you give me a lot of good suggestions. That was one of the best. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. We you know did that. And yeah, I mean, it's something that lives with me to this day and inspires me because I, it's like, I know what the money shot looks like. I know it's attainable. I know we can get it, you know? And it's one of those things too that I wish, you know, I've been with a lot of big footers, you know, like you guys and awesome people, but it's one of those things that it's like, it's gotta be boring. It's gotta be, you know, in a way it's, you've gotta be just tenacious and just keep, you know, just, just keep at it. You know, it's, you can't be reactive. If I would have been reactive in either instance, I don't even know. Thing exists. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you've got to, especially if you have thermal, I mean, you've got to use it you know, and, and try to separate yourself a little bit, you know, and to your advantage. I would say as far as th- um, thermal imaging and all that stuff, you're a, a good model for most people. You have a superpower in your hand. You have something magic in your hand and you can, it can allow oh. you to see in the dark and they're not putting it up to their eye. They're, that, that thing should live on your eyeball because a Bigfoot isn't going to step out and let itself be known. And then you can raise the therm or the camera and then go ahead and shoot a picture of it or where it's just not going to happen like that almost, almost for sure. But what you're most oh, likely right. going to see is like what you saw the thing hiding from you off in the dark in the distance. And you're, Oh, what is that? I better check this out. You spend a few minutes figuring it out and you got lucky. It stepped out from behind the tree. But, um, that's the thing. You, you gotta look through these things. Uh, they, they don't do any yeah. good in your hand. If you don't come back with a no. splitting headache and you're half blind, you didn't do it right. 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 <laughs> no, I no matter like what you're doing. Trip, Bo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was surprised we didn't get footage that night because that was not the end of the squatch action that night. I don't. I think it would take a dump like about half hour after this all happened, and I <laughs> right. I, I went out real close to where that thing was. I was like, and I had my headlamp in my hand and a shovel and a little toilet paper. And I dug my hole. And I'm squatting down. I'm just in the middle of my business. The thing starts running at me in the dark. I was so mad, like just like I just yelled at him, like, God damn it. I'm trying to take a crap here <laughs> and it just stopped. It, it, it had to weigh at least 350 pounds minimum. I mean, it was, it wasn't like, it didn't sound like an elephant, but it sounded big. 
and it ran fast. You right did hear them around the tents, though, right? That night. Yeah, well, that you night. Them, like, I could hear them through the tent. Like, it was that. Well, and you hear these steps. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget this point where this thing, the, 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 it was started dumping rain and the tent flap, you know, it spilled over with water and it made like, you know, a farting type noise, right? And it scared the one right outside the tent because you just hear it go and step and, you know, it just felt like the ground shook. And I was right there inside the tent just going, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, awesome. we were, me and Jamie J were camping in his tent next to you with his little baby, nine month old Cooper. And Cooper Loop was crying when he started crying. Those things came right into camp and they were right outside our tents and we could hear the footfalls. We actually heard some of the grumbling, mumbling, couldn't make any words out. It was just blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. But the we definitely, heard... it was like, you could hear it. Yeah. The yeah. The there was two of them, two yeah. of them were in the See, camp. That's what I felt like too. I felt like, too, I felt like I'd hear two of them in the camp and Cliff had the 250D. He had it perfectly. He Cliff had it like parallel um, it was right to the side, like right facing down the same pathway from where I saw it earlier. It's just in that, you know, at that time we had <laughs> limited battery life and the, and the thing never breached, you know, just didn't happen to breach. But I kept thinking, oh, we got it. Okay. This is going to justify everything I saw. It's in the bag, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it's not, <laughs> you know, it ain't that easy. So yeah. What a night, man. What a yeah, night. And- uh, our, our our situation has changed so much in the, in these years because back then it was a it, I mean we had thermal imagers which is cutting edge technology but they were archaic you know like uh, like crappy yeah. uh, re- recording situations um it, you couldn't hand it, 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 we just, it was a different situation back then had we what we have now it would be we would have a lot more to show for it well the first night we got used to that XP two hundred was when uh, Wally came up with Moneymaker. I think 2005 and, uh, or 2006. Yeah. 2006. And they drove up like 16, 17 hours through a huge storm. And Matt was so tired from driving all the way up. He was just going to pass out and he gave us the thermal, but he goes, it's too complicated to hook up. I'm like, well, all right, we'll we'll just go out. (laughs) The first place I wanted to go, well, we we stopped at a few spots. I go, I really want to go to this one spot, Bart. We go there. I look off the bridge and I'm, there, there's a giant one standing down at this boat pullout. It's a boat launch and pullout area on the Smith River. We're outside of Crescent City, and there, there's the when the there's a big uh, steelhead run going on, and the boats pull out there and they clean the fish and they just dump the guts there on the on the riverbank. And that's where this thing was standing, and that was that was that's another lost opportunity. I mean, with the thermals we have nowadays, we would have yeah. great. I mean, that thing was, because I went back and compared to people later on, it was about nine foot tall and three and a half feet across the shoulders, at least. I mean, and I mean, you, I remember mean, it went you up that, that hill, like nobody's business, right up that hill, gone. It, <laughs> well, there was a, yeah, there was like a, a stairway that's real steep that goes up one side. And there's also, if you go to the other end of the river bar, there's a real steep place to tow boats in and out. It didn't go, it didn't go up the walkway or the driveway. It went up the cliff. No. That's exactly what it did. That's that's why now I look back and I'm like, yeah, that probably, that probably was one. Yeah, I mean, what else could it have been? I mean, it was an upright, it had, it had a tin of an upright shape too, because it was, you know, it was distant enough that, you know, you can't make out arms legs, but you can see that it's not, you know, a quadruped. <laughs> it didn't look like a quadruped, you know, it was, it looked upright, you know, going. And especially now we have more experience looking back. I mean, that was, we had used the thermals, but that was the first night. I mean, you and I, we were like two kids in the candy store. I mean, I think we got back. We used to have those things for like eight, nine hours nonstop. Yeah. It was just like, this is heaven. This is our dream right now. Yeah, it was great. Those are the days, boys. Those are the days. People always say, where's the footage? And I'm like, trust me, <laughs> it's very aggravating. <laughs> you have to say we, yeah. we don't have it because we could have had it a few times. And you know, those, those opportunities are going to arise, if not for us, then somebody else that has the better equipment nowadays. They keep showing up, you know, and the, the equipment now, if you get one of those, uh, those uh, FLIR TK scouts, you know, they're, they're not great resolution, but they cost 500 bucks. Oh, I mean, anybody, you know, with, uh, with saving up a little money, you know, depending on their expenses, of course, can pick up uh, one of those and bring it to the woods. Um, and that's the key, man. The more technology and the more Bigfooters' hands, and we're going to – it's just a matter of time at this point. 
I just, you know, it's funny too. I, I think back sometimes and I think back like our early years, like Oh four to Oh seven, where we didn't have a lot happen those years. I think Bo had some good stuff happen, but it was just those years we had yams. Everyone, we built up all our friendships and we had some great times, even though we had not, not much happen. Those were some of the best times. They set the foundation for the rest of our big footing careers, really. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just those years. I mean, it's just, yeah, they're precious. I think about them all the time when I'm up there. One of the first things that had exciting happen when I was with Bart was Jamie J again, when he and I saw that one up at Bluff Creek. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that was 07. And that was, uh, I think that was either early summer or late spring 07. And we opened the roads to, to Bluff at that point. I think that was in Laos, I think. And we were at the T-shape yeah. road. Leiterman and I were dug down as ticks and, and we were listening. No one knew we, we had no thermal. We had nothing. And I think I was playing a baby crying on the loudspeaker, yep. uh, you know, my car. You had a Sony night you know, shot camera with infrared. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're not getting mm. nothing, but I heard that thing walk in. You could hear this gravel crunching under the toes. And it, I mean, it sounded like a biped to me and, and the cautious walk and everything. And then, you know, then we hear, that Bo and Jamie, they thought it was me that recrossed the road because they, they, they walked right past us, almost stepped on me and Robert, and then walked right past us all the way down. And just the way the shadows and the way the moonlight was, you know, they saw, you know, like subject about my height, six, you know, six foot or whatever, recrossed the road. We were never down there. So I was really fascinating. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember you were so frustrated. You're like, if you guys hadn't walked up right there, the thing was walking right towards us. You guys were so frustrated. <laughs> but we were, and, and you know what though, looking back, I mean, without thermal, we weren't getting nothing. Come on. Yeah. You know, they were just, we, we, yeah, there was just, there was just no way, you know, I always think back to your guys incident at that time um, at, at some unnamed lakes in Northern California. You guys had had a hell of an experience. And if you had thermal that night, you guys had them dead oh. to right. God, we got therms just a year or two after that for the first time. And we thought, oh, yeah, three months from now, we're going to have a couple pieces of footage. Yeah, we, we thought yeah. it was over. Yeah, but foolish. We us. thought we thought two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they were coming out in the open. I mean, they, they were coming yeah. out in the open and that. Yeah. So many things happened at the water spot. That's just ridiculous. And, uh, and then it's just kind of shut down, unfortunately. But then again, I'm not really hitting it like I used to because I, I, you know, back then I was living in Long Beach, California. So I would, you know, spend right. a long time in the woods at the spots and stuff. But now I'd live in a, a spot, you know, so it's, it's harder for me to get down there. So it's probably just as good as it ever was, but you know. And people say that night that Jamie and I saw that one that was walking up on Bart and Robert and said, well, you can't rule out a human. And I said, if you would have been on that road clearing mission, it took us two days to clear the roads to get in there, all the down trees and boulders and mud. That. that was my first time to bluff, actually. That was my first time there. Yeah. That, see, that's something that burns me a little bit, man, because people who say that, oh, you can't rule out a human. Is that, well, you weren't there. Like, how do you know that? Like, I think it's, I think <laughs> right. it's pretty like, like I, I don't know. I mean, you guys camp. I mean, if you camp, you kind of know what's around you, especially at that spot. There's nowhere else to be at really near that spot. Right. And you go slinking around up and down hills off of, with no lights off trail. It's like, come on. Like, and, yeah, you, you actually yeah. can't, you actually can eliminate humans um, from being one of the, one of the choices. If you know the circumstances. From a rational perspective. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, skeptics are not exactly rational all the time. So. Or what, I like that saying when you say some of them aren't smart enough to be skeptics. <laughs> that that's true. That's true. Yeah, some people are not smart enough to be skeptics, and some people aren't qualified to be skeptics, and in various other ways, absolutely. And that's one of the things too. You know, in the field, like now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, my God, some of my best friends in the whole world are in this field. I love it. I mean, I love them, and I love it. I love getting out. But and, and I'd love to go to more conferences. You know, just to, even for the social aspect, for the people I care about, it's just hard to get away as much, and I want to use that time. You know, maximize that time and and get in the field, but it's just, you know, with, with Facebook and everything else, it's just, I, I don't know. It just turns me out. Like, I almost feel like it's like, I know what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? And I know the people that I like going out and searching with. And I just, you know, these days try to, that's, that's, you know, where I try to put my energy when I have the time, you know, it's just, I know this can be done. And I don't care who does it. I want it done. I know Cliff, you're kind of like, or at least when we've talked before, I mean, you know, they exist and, and it's not the end of, for me though, I think it is. I think that 
I, I want it done before my parents go. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want them to, you know what I mean? Like it means like, you know, so always supported me on that and everything that goes along with that. And, and uh, I want it done. I don't care who it is. You know, I just want it done and I want it done right. I agree. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be great to get some redemption with our parents. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I don't uh, care what your parents think of me. <laughs> they love you. Come on. They love you guys. <laughs> I remember when, uh, when my parents met Cliff for the first time, they were like, we're so glad you have a normal friend. And Cliff's like, I'm your normal friend? Jesus. <laughs> I know. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, you told me I, I was the most normal guy that you knew. And I was thinking, well, God, in my circles, I was one of the stranger, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So Bart, you're a multi-generational resident of, you know, Canada, Monterey Bay, and this show is called yeah. Bigfoot Beyond. I know you have some info on another one of our favorite cryptids, sea serpents. Yeah. How, how crazy is this? So back in, I think it was the fifties, there was about a three year period. Every Italian, every Italian Sicilian fisherman, I'm related to pretty much every one of them, including my Nanu, both Nanus, which are both my grandfather's. One of the, they saw this during the Steinbeck era, the sardine era, where they, there was about a three or four year period where they were just pulling in tons of sardines and then they just disappeared. It's like another whole mystery. But they were seeing, um, I think it might have been an oarfish. I, I, probably not because it was repeatedly seen. You're not going to repeatedly see an oarfish. That's how rare they are. But they, it, this thing was actually seen, I mean, by, by not one non who saw it about seven times, the other one only saw it one time. But every one of them saw it. And guess what the name of that thing was? The nickname. Handsome Stud. <laughs> well, pretty close. Turned out to be one of my better buddies, Bobo, which is pretty crazy. But yeah, that's what I grew up on was, and that was an inspiration for me in this pursuit was my Nanu telling me the stories. And, you know, he's, he's so cute. He's such a great, ah, best, this old time Sicilian fisherman. I mean, just as you would imagine you know almost like the stereotype and the broken english and he's just so cute best and um i just remember him always saying yeah i go try to get the camera and go down you know and he would see <laughs> it he said on um you know a lot of them had described like a horse's mane on it you know like a reddish horse and that's right my mind is always looking towards okay what's the first you know what's the first candidate and that matches up okay with an oarfish but a lot of people described it shaped like a sunfish not like a serpent you know mm. and there was some really close-up sightings there was a old sicilian boat called the dante algeri uh that had a major side you know all the whole crew saw this and you gotta remember these guys are out all the time these guys go to alaska in, in june july they see it all they see every <laughs> every sea light that you can a uh, marine animal that you can possibly imagine and, you know, when something's unfamiliar, these guys know it, you know, it's not like even, you know, your regular doe that's going to see something, you know, maybe at Loch Ness or whatever, not be able to identify it. I mean, these guys are out there all the time. So when something's different, you know, they know. So I don't know what the hell it was. The sightings tapered off. Uh, I think the last time my nanu saw it might've been in the sixties, uh, my nanu Manjapani, but, um, yeah, that was it. I haven't, been, I haven't heard anything since. Well, let's do some speculation because I, I think that's kind of fun. Sasquatch. I like that. What is it? I would say that they are absolutely no secret. Masters of the environment, chameleon-like abilities. They are. There's a shy and retiring nature. I don't know why. Maybe it's a disease thing with us. Maybe they have bigger maneuverable bodies, but somehow they there's a shy and retiring nature attached or we wouldn't be where we are there's no argument on that why that is i don't i you know i i don't know but um i think it's i i honestly think it's just uh i think it's a matter of time and dna may play a big part of it you know we had a long story there but there was a couple opportunities for that and i, I think the wrong person clearly uh take that ball and run with it if you will and it reflected back in her face but um, I think in the long term, I think DNA, I think, I think with thermal, with, with there, there's now software, I'm being told, that they could see blood flow. Um, that's, you know, technology is just going to keep going. And 
there's only 4%, about 4 to 5% of this continent that we officially take up that space. The other 95% is free. You know, there's, there's uh, darkness is how many hours? Once it's dark, those things can go wherever they want. And I've always had a theory that they've had the benefit, you know, a, a, just a lucky benefit of you got to think an area like where there's black bear and humans using a lot of those same trails. I just think a lot of their sign is, is disguised because you got to remember most people aren't the guy that smells the ground and he knows an elk crap there a week ago. You know, that's a rare, that's a rare guy. Most people are the people that take the path of least resistance in the forest, stick to the human trails. It's just no surprise where we are. I think the biggest thing that surprised me is one hasn't made a mistake and an actual body brought in for processing that I cannot, that I baffled by. So I think it's just a matter of time, but I still think 10, 15 years, I still think we're out. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. I don't see it. I don't know what it is. I think we're still, there's still going to be some time before we get there. Hope you're wrong. So do I. <laughs> so do I. Right on, Bart. That was a great little chat with you. We appreciate you coming on the show. No, I'm honored. Love you guys. And anytime, you know, anytime you need anything from me, I'm here for you. So yeah. I, I appreciate Thank you for considering me and having me on. I'm honored. Yeah, it's just not, it's not, it doesn't even feel like a show. We're just hanging out talking like it, like we're in the same room, but we're not. Yeah. And Bart, if you're available, we're going to do Bobo's Fab Five follow-up, where we'll pick the five best questions that the listeners have in the comment section and call you back and try to get some uh, quick answers to clear up anything we didn't cover properly or didn't go into depth on enough. Sure. Absolutely. All right, Bart, man. Hey, man, great to talk to you. It's been a little bit too long. It's been a couple of weeks first, I think, at least. Um, it's always nice to hang out with you and Bob's at the same time. So thanks for coming on and gracing us with your presence. Okay, Bart. Love you too, brother. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in and listening. And until next time, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 